And away we go. It is the BCJ podcast presented by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com. Sunday, early morning, 8 o'clock opening for the Grail. The festivities start at 9. They've got a live show down there with our good friend Mo Egger. Rolling right into uh, the Bengals and the Ravens. If you are not planning on heading up the road to watch UC in Houston at 3 o'clock, I can't. We're going to have to figure out where Dave's loyalties are going to lie that afternoon. Oh, yeah. That's a hard one to figure out. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, you're down at the banks. Make sure you stop by. See our friends at the Holy Grail. Get you a beverage. Get you something to eat. And uh, enjoy what should be an exciting Sunday in the Queen City. All right, let's get this show on the road. Hi, David. Hello. She's here early tonight. She's already ready to Pickle. make an, an appearance. Like she's not even waiting for us to start anymore. She's like, "Oh, the show's about to begin." Yep. I mean, I don't, you know. Don't just show up when the show's already started. You're part no. of the show. That's right. You show up early. Is she like the so, BCJ mascot? She might be. Pickles picks? I mean, do you think we could get her to like make picks? No, she was like, she doesn't, she won't do like the whole like pick, put two things in front of her and pick one. No. So if you they, put two morsels of food in front of her, she wouldn't pick one? No, that would just be me pretending that she made picks. Okay. <laughs> she, She's she's not quite that type of trained uh, feline. <laughs> they don't have to be trained. They just have to decide like yeah. which piece of food they want first. Which one she kind of like hits with their paws first. Yeah, like the, the, whichever one. It could take a while. To. She's you know. Yeah. Pickles pickles picks would be an electric segment. Yeah. Electric segment. Could be. Her dad's but, off to a good start. I'll say that. That's nice to hear. Jeffrey apparently not off to such a good start. He says he wishes betting was illegal again. <laughs> uh, and he hates that he's a college basketball fan. Well, <laughs> yeah. Betting college basketball is stupid. I had a good night last night. But in general, yes, it is. I mean, one, typically Vegas just goes off of like Ken Palm. Or like that. They're pretty close to Ken Palm at all times. Right. Ken Palm is a predictive measure that's very good at what they do. And every game almost always comes down to like a three or four point window. Yep. That, that just sounds like too much chance to yeah. me. Football, I think there's like, not that it's easy. If you know what you're doing in football, there's a little less chance because you can look and go, I'm pretty sure well, this <laughs> looks wrong. Sometimes. Other times yeah. you're just like, how do you guys get it? Like even the like the cotton bowl, like I didn't think I knew USC's defense was terrible, but like I just didn't think Tulane could hang with them offense and like they it was a one and a half point spread and look what happened. Tajay Spears is really good. He's he's a bad dude. Like really, really good. He's a bad dude. would you be down with the Bengals picking up Tajay Spears in the draft? Uh, possibly, possibly. Depending I on think when, he would but... be there into the first round, right? Oh, no, you can't take him there. Why not? Because what? 
they have much, much bigger things that I would want them to do than take a running back in the first round. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean third, like, third, fourth round running back. Sure. I mean, if he's going to be, he's going to be a stud, then take it. I'd rather have Jameer Gibbs. That's fair. Uh, we, we've got a, a newsy show today. We Dan. do. It's, it's, I actually had to take down some notes to try to get all this, these newsy items, uh, make sure I didn't forget anything. All right. Let, let's run it down, Dave. We'll, we'll start. Where, where do you want to start with? Do you want to, I know you guys have already touched on it. Do you, we have a game tomorrow night? Uh, we yeah, had I mean, a, we can get the basketball had a game the back on half. Sun- Okay. I didn't know where you wanted to begin. I, I think football makes the most sense because that's where the most news was. Correct. You know, Correct. Relevant news of today. So we have what feels like a full football staff, or at least close to a full football staff. Scott Satterfield said he wanted to have this uh, kind of knocked out by January 3rd. Um Yesterday and today, most of the news is is coming out. Uh, so let's run it down, Dave. Head coach, Scott Satterfield. D.C., Brian Brown. Uh, defensive line, we assume, is Walt Stewart. I'm a little surprised that hasn't been made public yet. But well, here's, here's what I was wondering about that. If Walt's on a two-year deal, then they don't have to announce anything. That's true, because he, I mean, he just rolls over. He just, he he just, just stays. In the second yeah. year of his deal. But so you might not have a a press release, so to speak. Yeah, but I think they would have something social media or yeah, maybe at some point. State. But that I mean, that could just be what you know. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty clear he's staying. Yes, uh, <laughs> linebacker coach Derek Nicholson, uh, defense special teams Kerry Combs, uh, the other linebacker coach Greg Gasparato, uh, that came out today. Uh, offensive coordinator came out yesterday, Tom Manning, uh, Pete Thomas at quarterback, Nick Cardwell, offensive line, Daral Sims, uh, running back, Josh Stepp, wide receiver, and then uh, you would assume Tom Manning would slot in uh, also as the tight end coach. Strength and conditioning made official today. Uh, we have been talking about this name on Bearcat Journal for weeks. Nico Palazzetti is your new strength and conditioning coach coming down from Ohio State. He brings along with him Christopher Friend, Brandon Garcia, Myquan Stout, and Scott Etherington. Or Ethington. I'm going to have to remember he doesn't have an R in his name. I think we're, we're going to need to take, uh, you and I, we're going to need to take Nico to Pep and Dolores and, and break some bread and, and yeah. just have a have a good, a good get-to-know-each-other um, time. I, I'm down with that. Uh, recruiting, Carter Wilson and Cass Simmons. General manager, Zach Grant. Uh, director of player personnel, Jack Griffith. Some of these are still Cass. reported, not But they're, official. I mean, yeah. they have Officially official. You know what right. I mean. Yeah. Chief of staff, Mark Spire. And uh, that looks to be the bulk of your on and off field uh, staff for Scott Satterfield. Before we get into specifics, your overall feel for what Scott Satterfield has done in building his first staff at Cincinnati. Um, I actually kind of thought about that as I was 
thinking how I wanted to approach this was just kind of like now that the staff is and the support group seems to be complete for the most part, I'm sure there could be, you know, there's going to be QCs, there's going to be possibly other recruiting people, you know, but, you know, how do you assess it? And then kind of looking back at the search through the lens of what is now the bulk of the staff, you know, it, it, to me, the biggest thing that jumps out is the overall composition, how the organization came together and how that aligns with, at least to me, it looks like it aligned with John Cunningham and the, and what he felt was the importance of power five head coaching experience. Uh, because if you look at some of the other, you know, what we would have probably considered finalists, serious candidates, I don't think any of those guys are putting together a coaching staff and an off-field staff um, in the same stratosphere as this group. You're probably bringing a lot of coaches with G5 experience, you're probably, you know, you're certainly probably not adding the level of off-field representation from an Ohio State um, and others, you know, and other schools. But obviously the on-field results are going to tell the, the true story. But, I mean, if you're just going to look at it on January 4th, eight months before the first game, I'm going to say that I'm, you know, I'm pretty darn satisfied. I won't, I don't know if I'll, you know, grading it, so to speak, whatever. Like I won't give it a, an A. I'll give it a very strong B. Um, I still have, you know, when we, when we were at the very beginning of all this, we talked about Ohio ties and I, I said three guys minimum would make me feel okay. And I think you have that with Carrie, with Walt and now with Tom Manning. Uh, from the Northern Ohio, um, has recruited Ohio for Iowa State. I think UC's success, like when they first got to Iowa State from Toledo, they played in Ohio a lot more than they have recently. And I think that's a direct correlation to UC's success. Like they probably yeah. still were recruiting Ohio. They just weren't getting the same type of kids that they were getting before, before UC took their jump. And so, especially on the northern side of the state, he's still probably got all those relationships uh, from high school coaching up there, from coaching at Toledo, from recruiting for Iowa State. If there's one little critique, I maybe would have liked to have seen another one more of the assistants with a stronger vibe in Ohio. But at the same time, like, you've got to go where the players are. Yeah. Like, 2024 Ohio and especially 2024 Cincinnati is not strong. You know, there's five of the top now rankings are going to change. Uh, but like sure. right now, 24 seven, five of the top 20 are from the Cincinnati ish Dayton area. Yeah. Couple very, very high ranked prospects. So you're figuring those are probably like Ohio state kids. Um, Notre Dame, Ohio State, right? And so you know, you you go where you're, you go where the talent is, you go where you have the relationships. And so, 
you know, if I'm nitpicking a little bit, maybe one more guy with some some deeper Ohio ties. But I, you know, I'd be I would be being hypocritical if because I said earlier that I think I would be satisfied with with you know three guys out of the ten. Yeah, and the recruiting staff having a lot of I don't know that I think people assume like just because guys that are Ohio State they they are strong in Ohio. Um, I think you have a lot of guys, you know, a couple guys that have touched Ohio State but aren't necessarily like died in the wool like Ohio guys. No, I what Simmons is more of like a Texas yeah. more of Texas ties I think than Ohio. Um Yeah. But I think that that element of it is the organizational uh, backbone part of it, not necessarily the I know this guy at this school. I know like it's right, it's right, an right, all encompassing right. thing of like these are the positions we need to function at a level commiserate to our peers, and these are the guys that we can get that we feel you know, are aligned in what we're doing and want to be here and can help us move this thing in a positive direction. Sorry, me and Pickles are having a staring contest. Oh, she's going to win. One thing I did notice that was was kind of interesting. um, I won. She blinked. Gasparato has coached, like at Louisville, they had inside and outside linebackers coaches. Mm Mm-hmm. He's also coached safeties, so you could see him. They could do a safeties corners deal with Carey, um, or they could do the same kind of setup that they had at Louisville. I also found it interesting that, and this might be the, the case at a lot of Power Five schools. It's certainly not been the case that you see, just because in the G five your pool your salary pool is lower. Um. And you're usually bringing up and comers, but so now you have obviously the head coach is going to call plays. He's basically an offensive coordinator. Tom Manning's been an offensive coordinator, will be the offensive coordinator. Carey's been a defensive coordinator. Brian Brown's the defensive coordinator. You now have Greg Gasparato, who was the de- a defensive coordinator at one point at Army, and Josh Stepp before he took his role at Louisville, had been promoted to offensive coordinator at Georgia State. So I thought it was interesting that you you have a lot of coaches that have coordinating experience. Uh, and I, we just don't – we've never really seen something like that here because of the situation that I just outlined. Yeah. Um, thank you, Natalie. She congratulated me on my win. What did you it win? It was very, I won the staring contest with pickles. Oh, oh can, yeah. Well, there she was, blinked. Did bet Fred sponsor that? Uh, I don't know because I, it was impromptu. It was, it was not scheduled. Free $5 uh, staring contest bet. <laughs> now that we know it's a thing, we can get bet Fred involved. That's right. Uh, I was unaware that I was going to be in a staring contest until pickles was just staring at me. And then it was like, well, you know, you got to roll up. Sometimes you just got to roll up your sleeves, go to work. Maybe you left. Crip Keeper asked me if my cat is a a mancoon. Uh, I have no idea. She's from the mean streets of Kentucky, and we adopted her. I have no clue what kind of cat she is. (laughs) 
she's she she's a uh, I like to be the star cat. Yeah. Whatever cats like to be on camera uh, and host their own podcast, she's one of those. And so what what are, what are your thoughts of the of what is I guess we could consider the completed staff. Um, I would like to have maybe seen one or two more guys that weren't necessarily just like his Louisville staff. Right, branch but, out a little bit. Go for your go for some outside help. But if those were the best hires, then like that's what we don't know is, you know, what what did the the candidate pool look like? Were they, you know, clearly, and I, that probably comes down to Step and Gasparato, right? Because they were kind of the last two well, guys. Well, that's interesting, him. though, because, like, they're also announced. They're, they're through the HR process. Right. So were they kind of work? and I put that on the board, is, like, were they kind of quietly working behind the scenes for UC for the last couple of weeks? Like, were they hired? And, I mean, because – I would assume they were right. Yeah. So we we didn't really come across their names until very 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 recently, especially in the football scoop article with Tom Manning. They mentioned Josh Step, and there had been you know discussion that maybe that was a thing. And he you know you follow the Twitter breadcrumbs, but like to be announced today means that that like, means they've were, already gone through. You were yeah. probably submitted as like this is my coach two to three weeks ago. Like December, I don't know, eighteenth, nineteenth, maybe. Yeah, I mean, just like tossing out there, uh, random dates that don't have anything to do with a December seventeenth bowl game at all. No. Um, but yeah, I mean that 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 very much could be the reality of it is that these these were already in motion and just didn't didn't catch on the radar. Um. It's a very young staff, too. It's a young staff, which I like. Uh, I, like, I don't I think, think people realize some of these guys, like, I think you, you, they, they coach for a lot of years, and we don't realize that they're still pretty, like, Tom Manning's still only 39, and I've known about him for a decade. The Tom Manning stuff today on the board was just, I, some people will look for any reason to be negative. Yeah. I mean, that's the world, isn't it? It's the world, yes. <laughs> but, like, you hire a guy that's 39. He's a, he's a recent. It wasn't like it wasn't like he was up for the Broyles Award in, like, 2012 and 13. Like, it was 20 and 21, right? Or 19 and 20, 20 and 21. Whatever. Like 19, it was, 19 and 20. Yeah, it was very recent that this guy was considered one of the best assistant coaches in football. Uh, the situation at Iowa State, like, look – we know how that shit goes. Coach tanks a year and sacrifices have to be made if he wants to make sure that he's got a job. Well, I like I just look at it from an outsider's perspective of like I know who he is. I I can do Google searches. I can do cfbstats.com to like get an idea of like but like we don't know the intricacies of right. of what and so like are you going to color the career of someone based off of a single season or of a body of work. And, and I'm not gonna, I just, I can't look at 2022 and be like, Oh, he's terrible because they had one bad year when I, when I can at the same time look at four years as an O-line coach at Toledo. And then what they did with Brees Hall and Brock Purdy after they, I mean, 
everybody knows that that situation before they got there was one of the worst jobs in college football. Right. So, like, if you're going to sit there and go, well, look at the numbers from 2018, I'm going to go, yeah, because they didn't have any freaking good players. Right. <laughs> like, and guess what? They recruited and they ended up recruiting and developing a bunch of good players. Once they got some good players and developed some players, they had good seasons. They had good offensive seasons. And then they lost those two main players and other things probably happened. And in 2022, they did not have a good offensive season. Well, they had a quarterback Uh, that was inconsistent. Yeah, well, among other things, yes. But, like, if you're going to tell – like. If you just said, okay, you're gonna take, you're gonna get an offensive coordinator, you're just gonna do a blind resume type thing, and we're gonna get an offensive coordinator that was in the MAC and their offense was dominant when they were in the MAC uh, with Kareem Hunt, and they were the top ten to top twenty rushing offense for basically four straight years, and then they got promoted, and they went to one of the worst programs in the country, and then once they got things figured out there, they, you know had some of the best teams in that program's history. And in between that, this coach went to the Colts, to the NFL for one year and developed a tight end room uh, and had a former first round pick whose career had basically tanked and turned him around into one of the best tight ends in the country that season and elevated the play of all the tight ends in that tight end room. And then he was thought so highly of that the coach that he used to coach for wanted him to come back. And then he came back. And then they had the two best seasons in the program history right when he came back. I think we'd all be like, yeah, that, that's a pretty good person to hire. Yeah. But everybody has to find any possible negative and just say, oh, oh, oh see, I, I it's not you. like it's, a, it's, and I'm not sitting here saying that this is like a slam dunk. There's no possible way this can't work. Like that would be, that'd be ridiculous because we Anything know that not work. Right. Because we know in sports, the most slam dunk hire cannot work. And the hire that you think, is ridiculous, uh, can be just work out just fine. Right. I just like it, it's when you want a power five staff, exhausting. that's what you got. Right. Every single one of these guys, whether it's at Louisville, Iowa State, UC, like they've all been on those staffs. Most of them came with Scott, but you know, and we we saw with Luke, like his first staff, he made changes right away. You just, yeah, but I would also say his first staff outside of one guy was probably his most complete, or at least his second staff was his most complete staff. Yes. And then as he had to replace more and more guys, After it wasn't as good. After he got rid of Willie Martinez. I wasn't going to say it, but, you know. But he made he had a staff, essentially his first staff had two guys that were dead weight. Corners and uh, wide receivers. Yeah. Everybody else he pretty much hit on. Right. And then when those guys started leaving, he didn't hit at such a, a high clip. No, because I mean you're always going to bring your most trusted, your best relationships in in first. Um, Yeah, yeah. I find it is interesting though. Like, and I'm not using this as like a comparison thing, but like it kind of goes to show you of like who Luke probably wanted to hire and couldn't just from a straight dollars standpoint. 
of like he wanted to hire Phil Longo, but Phil Longo went to Ole Miss instead of UC because Ole Miss could obviously pay him more. You know, at one point he wanted to hire Paul Haynes, and Paul Haynes went to Minnesota, and now he just hired him today uh, to coach corn to coach defensive backs, and it's probably because of money. Right. So now, hopefully, that's now that we're not in that situation anymore. Hopefully, one, you can retain your better coaches who, you know, who elevate their career and you can then keep them. And two, if they do leave, you now have a much higher salary pool to to replace them with, you know, someone on that same or better level. Let you answer this one. Does the big pool of money for assistance cover new positions like general manager? Yes. Covers basically everything in house for football. Yes. There are there there will be a few exceptions here and there, but like anybody working in the like when the when the uh, when the new facility opens and they move from the lender center into the new facility. Generally, if you work in that facility in the football offices, you're being paid by the, right. the pool from. We call it the assistant uh, coach pool, but it's really the everybody football staff. The football pool. staff pool. Uh, who were fixed big misses besides Joker? Uh, Willie Martinez was a miss. Uh, I think it's starting to become clear. Darren Page was probably a miss. Uh, just in more than anything that he had never had any experience with running backs. He was a wide receiver. He had coached wide receivers. That's what he knew was wide receivers. I think there is a uh, misconception that just put him at running back. Like all they do, you hand them the ball and you tell them to go get yards. Uh, I didn't think the running back room developed. What's that? You cut out for a second. Uh Uh-oh. Sorry, hold on. What did Pickles oh, do? Go ahead. Okay. Um, so, oh, yeah. But the, I mean, I know. I'm just kidding. Uh, other than that, I mean, most of his hires were good. Um, My VP. You're not working, Dave. It's rough. Yeah, I'm. I'm Try here. Now. I'm here. Okay. I'm, I hear you again, guys. Whatever fine, you said. So. I didn't say yeah, anything. We're we're you're. Oh, well, it's at me. Yeah, no, me, I'm good. Me. <laughs> uh, so we got one of the steps. Is there a spot for the second? No. Right now, it would no. see all ten spots are he's, filled. He's more than happy at South Carolina. Any crystal balls to join? Uh, we don't play with our crystal balls here, Juan. <laughs> <laughs> the, the aliens are communicating with Dave. You did have a little bebop boop, bebop bop bop boop uh, well, there for a minute. Yeah. You're back to normal now, though. That's good to hear. Wonderful. Uh, look, the recruiting stuff... I don't know how it could have gone any better than what it's gone so far in terms of putting a staff in place. I mean, you've got guys that have worked that various 
multiple backgrounds working in different areas of talent acquisition. They have built in the NFL model what talent acquisition looks like now in high major college football. Um, the way that it is structured is how you want to be structured going forward, right? Like you've got a guy that, that looks like he's really, really on top of the transfer portal. You've got a guy that, you know, learned from one of the, a couple guys that learned from one of the best in terms of player personnel at Ohio state. You've got a guy with some NFL ties uh, and, and some knowledge on the NFL philosophy on talent acquisition. Like, Top to bottom, it just feels like a big-time recruiting staff and not trying to – and this is has nothing to do with Pat and Max and, and – like, but they were doing the work of five people. And now you right. have five people doing the work of five people. Yes. What's I mean, your I'm, take on the recruiting department? No, I agree. I mean, like <laughs> – Robert asked kind of like who who's the most exciting new staffer. Mine would be Zach Grant because of the importance of the portal and his he's proven that at a program that has to use the portal like Western Kentucky did, um, and I'm not saying UC has to use the portal in that fashion, but he he's proven that he can identify talent, get them to Bowling Green and they can win games instantly. And that's the type of thing you see needs moving forward into the big 12. Now, I don't know if that manifests itself for the 2023 season, um, but like above any other coach on field coach, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I've, but I've, you know, We've seen Scott Satterfield. We've seen Tom Manning. It's much harder to talk about like any of the new position coaches without being. We've seen, seen what Brian Brown's defense can do when it's was, operating. Yeah. It was one season, so I mean, it was a very, very good season in s- several statistical categories. Um, but I'd like to have a conversation or try to find out like where did this huge swing come from? Did you change philosophies midway through the season? Did you change philosophies going into? 2022 because those numbers were not there in 20 and 21 and 20. So, but just from a roster standpoint and how you have to manage things now, I I mean, to me, it would be, it'd be Zach. I think I would agree with that just because he does seem to be on top of where the sport is going. And he does seem to give this recruiting staff uh, a look and a feel that it hasn't had previously where, like I said, I think Max and Pat did a phenomenal job, but you can't ask or expect two guys to do the job, the work of five guys and continue to be, you know, super efficient at it. Like there's going to be misses in there as time goes on. Uh, just strictly like, you know, you're not going to have, how frequently are you going to have, you know, Darian Beavers and Brian Cook fall in your lap? Right. You know, guys that that just were dying to come home, wanted to be a part of this, uh, were under-recruited and developed into 
you know, surefire NFL guys once they got here. So I, I think with a guy like Grant, you're giving yourself that that leeway of we are prepared for the sport to continue evolving and prepared for what the things are that come next because we've got a guy that's out in front of it. Uh, you know, I, I've always joked about on the basketball side, uh, a guy named Matt Abdomasi. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Matt is at now. He was, I think, at Nebraska. But but Matt was a guy that he had transfer lists dating all the way forward to the guys that were still in high school. Right? Like, well, this guy's played on three AAU teams, and he's already been at, at two different high schools. He's 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 got people in his ear telling him to go somewhere that he doesn't want to go. That's a kid that is going to be on the transfer market two years from now, right? right? Like a guy that was ahead of the curve and anywhere he went, guess what? They were super effective and productive in the transfer market. And this is before the portal days because he had the best understanding of, you know, this is where this is going and this is how I get ahead. Um, Let's get to this. Thank you, Richard. Uh, thank you, Richard. Satterfield has about two more weeks of not bringing in good transfers from the portal. I disagree because other <laughs> newly head coach hired head coaches are already killing it in the portal. Uh, and he has reason ABC for why things are slow. If the portal close, like if you were not allowed to get any players after the next week or two, uh, sure. You know what I saw today, Dave? I saw like 10 all conference guys go in the portal today. Yeah. Like, this is not slowing down. No, you have two more weeks to get in this, to get to enter into this uh, window. Um, But that doesn't mean, again, we have to make sure people understand. That doesn't mean you have to be committed when the window closes. No, you just have to be in it. You can decide whenever you want. And grad transfers can jump in whenever. Yes, they can. There's no window there'll be, open. There'll be another. Papers. There'll be another window in April. Yes. So, do I think they need to do some work here in the next two weeks? Yeah, I do. Uh, but again, I don't get caught up in transfer portal rate like ratings, like because I don't think that system is developed yet. I think it's very flawed. Yeah, I mean, I kind of just look at like because it's it's tough to tell. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of offers go out. How serious, same thing. It's like with any recruiting, like how serious is it? Um, you know, if guys are taking visits, obviously that's more serious. Um, like, I just don't know how, like, like we've talked about in the past. So you have a so four-star SEC player and he's, he hasn't played for two years. He hasn't really played. I mean, maybe he's seen mop of duty here, there, whatever. Right. And he enters the portal, and then they give him a transfer rate. I'm like, how 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 can you do that? He hasn't played. So are you just saying like he's still a four star? You know, I don't know. It's I agree though. Like they have to get some more guys, and I think also like we see these these a lot of these some of these teams are like 
a lot out, a lot in. You see, I don't think you see has quite the necessarily available spots to just like grab like 25 transfers. I think Justin had a thing up yesterday that I, I don't have any reason to doubt that the number they're in like the 12 to 15 open spots range. Like on and top, like that's counting yeah, the ones that yeah. they've gotten already. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Which so would like which would make sense. Like you had what 11 freshmen. Now you've got five transfers. That's 15. They were planning on taking a full 25 to begin with. So like there's 10 already. You've had a couple that you didn't expect to go into the portal or declare for the draft, whatever the case may be. So yeah, you're looking at 10 to 15-ish open spots uh, that they have to fill. Yeah, 24-7. And obviously this probably isn't everybody. Well, like they had 22, they list 22 guys going in the portal today. Yeah. And like I said, there were a number of them that were like starters, second team all conference, like guys that made an impact at the school that they were at. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, we're, we're at a point where if you were unhappy and you weren't getting playing time or whatever the case may be, you're already in the portal, right? Like you made that I, decision a I while ago. I would think ago. so. Like if, 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 why, what would you be waiting for at this point? Right. Like you're just only hurting yourself if it's now, a, if it's a disgruntled issue. Right. Now we're looking at guys that are asking themselves, can I do better? Can I do better? Can or I go, can I go get the bag? Or do I see the writing on the wall? Like I'm, I might not be disgruntled. I might be totally happy here, but like the cold hard truth is like, I'm not going to play. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is those guys are pretty much already in the portal. Well, I'm I, don't not know. Play I, guys. I don't know. I still think there's some not going to play guys that are jumping in. Like, I mean, I know a, kid, a wide receiver from Tennessee, like, pretty good pretty good player went in the portal today like i just think he realizes he's probably not going to to play a ton yeah i guess my point there being those conversations have happened already at most yes. places and then you're just deciding what do i need to do like what's best for me right um Richard's just going to pay us till we keep talking about his question I guess he said without getting even better talent on the team, we could be looking at four and eight and five and seven. We could but be, the, yeah. but like it's January fourth. Like I can't assess the talent on the team when I don't know who the team is. And I can't say that there's no more good players left in two weeks, which is what your original question was. If they don't, if they we in two weeks, if they don't have everything they need to be done, then you're going to deem it a failure. Corey Kyle entered the portal in April. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's accurate. I think there will be still plenty of opportunities to get good players two weeks from now. That's all. That's all I'm. I'm saying. Natalie and I are on the same wavelength, apparently. Good. Good work, Natalie. You read. You read Dave's mind, or Dave stole what you were thinking not, before you. I typed didn't see it. her say that. Well, I'm saying she was typing and she manifested it into your brain. <laughs> Um, no, I think it's do they, just like I agree that they, there needs to be more talent added to this roster, and even if there is, it still could be a four and eight, five and seven season. Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
I can't, I can't assess like the, I mean, you're probably looking at five, you know, five starters that they've added or five very, very heavy contributors. But I don't know if, if that means that they're good, good starters or that it makes them appreciably better. I mean, right. that's stuff that we'll get a better idea of in the spring and we'll get a better idea of in, in, you know, fall, summer. Um, but like right now, the, you know, they just need to add more offensive linemen. They need to add wide receivers. They need to add DBs. <laughs> Once I see <clears throat> what those things are, if they even happen, then we can give a much more defined, um, you know, understanding judgment on ultimately whether it was successful or not ultimately what we're saying richard is we agree with you but there's not a like there's not a window on if it doesn't happen in two weeks it's not going to happen is what i'm what i think we're trying to express because there's still plenty of time left like the other thing is you're going to have to let these new recruiting guys get in and start to do their work here because maybe they got a couple tricks up their sleeve. Maybe there were three or four kids that Zach Grant had his eye on that didn't fit Ohio state or Ohio state didn't have a need at, you know, wide receiver that Cincinnati does. And then this guy can now come in and say, okay, well, I've got this and I've got this and I've got this connection and that connection working on this kid let's see you know if we can if we can get this train moving on this um so I, I don't think it's fair to say we're gonna make a judgment in two weeks and if n- everything that needs to be done isn't done then it's a failure but like we said last week if we come out of this week like this visit window that started today and closes on the eighth if we come out of this and and it doesn't feel like there's any momentum coming out of it. I think that's fair to be a little bit concerned, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's I the only that. it's the only visit window prior to spring semester. Closing. Yeah, and the, and the portal close. I don't think there's another one next week, is there? No, no. I mean, the portal would technically be open, so maybe there is. I don't know, but I think things open back up at some point. But I, I let me filibuster for a minute um but yeah i mean if if you you'd have to think that they you know they obviously got a commitment today from Keyshawn helton who had visited previously wide receiver from florida state two guys tweeted out the graphics you know how that goes so i mean at least two guys are here now those two guys are both also highly sought after there, but they both said they're going to take other visits. Um, we know that that can change in any moment. Um, but you know, and this window is a little bit different in that you could visit today, tomorrow, you could visit tomorrow, Friday, you could visit Friday, Saturday. Um, it's not, it's a little bit different than the, you could visit Saturday, Sunday. It's a little bit different than the normal high school window. So just, you know, they could have guys coming in as, as we go throughout the entire weekend. 
for right. you know, 48 hour visits at a time. Um, Do you want to help with recruiting pickle, even though you don't like people? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think she'd be a big help. UCF super fan. So we are in a quiet or a dead period, sorry, through the 12th. That window looks like it's the only time that there can be on-campus visits at the, like, in this, for a while. All right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking over. No. Um, because that the quiet period runs through January 29th, and then January 30th through February 28th is a dead period. A quiet period. It's permissible to make in-person recruiting contacts only on the member institution's campus. So... I'm wondering if like the 12th through the 29th is a quiet period because it says the dead period is December 19th through January 12th and then it lists quiet period until January 29th. So you potentially the way the calendar is written here makes this a little confusing. Yeah. Um, so there might be another window, the 13th through the 29th, because I don't see that, like, the dead period is supposed to stop the 12th. Right. So uh, let me see. Yeah, 13th through the 29th is a quiet period. So there is on-campus uh, recruiting that's allowed. Oh, yeah. Permissible to make in-person recruiting contacts only on the member institution's campus. No in-person off-campus recruiting contacts or evaluations may be made during a quiet period. So, yeah, the 13th through the 29th opens back up the quiet period. And then there's nothing again until like March 1st. March 1st through April 14th, like spring practice, you're allowed to have guys on campus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are they recruiting any high school kids for the February signing period? I, bro, let's, let's get through this, <laughs> this transfer window right now. Probably. Uh, I mean, I think it's safe to say that they're probably, I mean, probably some, but who knows? Yeah, that's such a small pool to choose from anymore that it's hard to really get a good feel for. You're just not going to really know unless a new offer goes out that hadn't been right. offered before to a kid that is not signed or yeah. there's actual visits. Obviously, there's a tight end from California that was committed to Louisville, didn't He's sign. He's supposed to be deciding this weekend, right? I, the I guess. U.S. Army game on on. Saturday yeah, or the I whatever guess. whichever one of those all-star games is still going on. Those seem to have like I remember them being like much more of a big deal 
10 years ago than they are now. Well, yeah, because the the early signing period just kind of eliminated all of, you know. I just meant in like the guys that played in it and like the, the buzz around it. Not so well, much right, the but not so much the declarations, but like but the declarations are part of what made it yeah. exciting. And now commitments have also so gotten commitments have also gotten stale. Like we need to bring back like having dogs wearing outfits and, and live alligators at commitments and you know all that type of stuff. Just you know, and look, everything's a production now, right? Like well, it's not like not like it used to be. Those were the I mean, could have a live alligator. Yeah. And now everything's like televised. Now it's boring. And it's boring. Like, don't you want to get good ratings for your televised commitment? It's like it's uh it's just good enough now to be on somebody's YouTube channel. Yeah. Remember the days of Puppy bulldogs and alligators. I want. I want to go back to commitment videos. Like I, I like commitment videos. I want to go back to just the hats on the table. Well, they they've been doing the hats on the table for the video announcements. Like no, now it's like now you do like the video announcement and <laughs> you unzip just, your just hoodie and you're in the you're in the gear of the team that you pick. Yeah. Quiet time. It's quiet time. I'm getting my blankie stuffy and taking a nap. Um, the funny thing is quiet time is not quiet. Quiet time is very loud because that's when kids are on your campus. Yeah, it's a bad can, name for you can't go see them. Yeah. But, but you're, they're on your campus. Like that's more important than going and seeing them. I think. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll let you handle this one, Dave. This is up your alley. Any new info on Big 12 schedule and reasons for delay? Uh, a couple weeks, and no. Uh, the reason for the delay is easy. I don't know if that's – I mean, we'll see if that – I've been told that to expect something in a couple weeks. Yeah, and the reason that it didn't happen when it was supposed to happen is because now Texas and Oklahoma might be leaving a year right. early, and that changes the dynamics of – just creating a two-year, you know, this is what it looks like one year, and then it flips for the next. Uh, that's probably out the window if if they're leaving because that changes uh, the dynamics. Darren is right. Peyton Barber had quite a uh, he had quite a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> Peyton Bowen, whatever his name was. Peyton yeah. Bowen, yeah. Committed to Notre Dame, decommitted to Notre Dame, committed to OU, then committed to Oregon, and then a day later committed back to OU. Uh, I disagree with that. Texas, they, I think Cincinnati will see Texas and Oklahoma in 2023. I would be surprised if they didn't. That is yeah. kind of, from, from what I've heard all along, that has been the quote-unquote punishment in 2023 for Texas and Oklahoma is that they're going to each play all four incoming teams as a, you know, financial <laughs> boost to those four incoming teams. Right. So each one gets two of them at home, and the other ones would get the other one at home. We shall see. Yeah. 
would Cincinnati receive any of the Texas OU buyout money? Absolutely not. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't think so. I don't know how that all is going to go down. Well, they're not going to be in. You're not like the, the the teams that were new to the American did not get any of the Big East buyout money. But those teams were not also still in the conference when the other teams joined. So I do wonder if they would get something. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think I can... the other schools are going to say this is our money. Oh, I don't and... disagree. But I I just wonder how you know because before. It's one in, one out. It's never like we're coming in while you're still there and then you're leaving a year later. Right. Would it, it pisses off the current eight. Why would it piss off the current eight? Like Texas and Oklahoma are leaving and they have to deal with them less. I think the current eight just want them gone. Yeah, for the right price. Right, right, right. But I mean, in terms of like, do you think they're really worried? Like, they don't want Oklahoma and Texas to screw up their seasons. Neither of them were good. Like, were that good this year? Like, they don't care. Like, and, but don't that's care. how they screw up your season: is you play them and they're not very good, and then they beat you. Right. Baylor doesn't care if they get to play Texas at home. When I mean, I'm sure that part of them do because they, they want, just want to beat them. But like, yeah. I think you're looking too deep into it, UCF super fan. Uh, you guys are firing off the questions tonight. Is that a burn on us and a benefit to us? Uh, kind of, I guess. Like, I I don't know. Uh, I think it's the conference doing what they feel is best. Like, okay, you guys are new. They're on their way out. You guys get to play them all once before they leave. Uh, are we getting into basketball tonight? Yes. We are a little bit, in a little bit. You, you don't have to be done talking, UCS Superman. You've been very <laughs> sensitive lately. Very sensitive. I like. I just. I don't know what. Like. I don't know that the the remaining eight teams are going to be that upset not seeing Texas and Oklahoma on their schedule. I think they're going to be like, let's let's get down to business of playing the teams that are in this conference long term. The. I guess my point there is. There's no novelty for them in playing in Texas and Oklahoma. <clears throat> They've been playing Texas and Oklahoma forever. Right. Most they, of them have been sick of Texas's shit for Yeah, they just want to beat them. They don't it's not like it's a thing to get to play them. Right. So um Remember how ECU and Tulsa behaved after they lost to UC in their final shot. Those were also teams that were only in a conference with UC for 10 years. We're talking about teams that have been dealing with Oklahoma and Texas for decades. Would they want a shot at them? One last shot at them? Sure. Do they care? Probably not. And the other thing is, especially this year, like Oklahoma got its ass kicked the whole year. They already beat Oklahoma's ass, all those teams. Texas was a little bit better this year, but they've been whipping up on Texas for a decade now. Um, honest opinion on the portal. Good for new coaching staffs or bad. You get to quickly build a roster with experienced guys, but you could also have a mass exodus of existing roster guys. I think give and take. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just the, the state of the sport. Like, yeah. I don't think it matters if you're a new coaching staff or not. I mean, 
Go look about, at the teams that have the most players in the portal. Very few of them are coaching changes, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, Texas A&M, Florida, Arizona. Um, or three off the top of my head. So. Florida State had a bunch, didn't they? They've had like a several out, several. I mean, they have like eight in, probably like 12 to 15 out. Um, So, I mean, it really is kind of give and take, and I don't know if it necessarily is a good or a bad thing for a new coach. Um, I mean, I guess it's a good – I would look at it as like it's a good thing because under a normal coaching change – you're going to have guys leave anyway. Right. And before you couldn't replace them with similarly experienced players, you had to just replace them with a bunch, as many freshmen as you could. So now you at least have the opportunity to be like, yes, I know I didn't recruit these guys. A lot of some of these guys are going to leave, but I can at least go get, you know, guys that have played for two, three, four years and not just, have to backfill with two or three big high school recruiting classes. Right. So it's probably slightly better. You know, if you look at it just from the UC standpoint, um, you know, and UC had, you know, a coaching change that they didn't expect. And you had a, the way that the program was built, you're just going to have guys, guys take off for various reasons. Um, but I definitely don't think I mean, and granted, we could I'm sure we'll still have more, whether it's in the next two weeks or whether it's after spring practice. But like I guess I I mean I don't know what I I don't know what I was ex- expecting, I, I, but I guess it's it hasn't been as much as I expected. I don't know. This is of De- as of December twenty sixth, so this is old. Uh Texas AM had twenty four players in the portal. 22 at Florida, 21 at Arkansas, 20 at Arizona, 18 at Miami. And at that point, the average, the average among Power Five schools, 10.4 players in the portal. Right. So what, like 12, 13% of every roster? Yeah, I mean, I saw a couple of days ago what Matt Lee, the starting center for UCF. Yeah, who's been a starter for at least two, maybe three years? He decided like an all conference guy, yeah, to leave. Like, so the reason, I mean, the reasons are all over the place. You would think a guy like him would be quite happy, but you know, someone uh, that's you know a Final Four contender every year and needs a starting center gives you a call, and it's like, damn, you know, I can step into this spot at this school and you know, be on a roster that's primed to, to possibly make the playoff. It's hard to, it's a hard thing to, to say no to, you know. I do think UCF super fan and talking about UCF, they had a good amount for no apparent reason. He said, I think after the second year, like you're going to see even more of this, right? Like coach has finally settled in. He's starting to get a lot of his guys. It yeah, like become if, apparent. If, if you were recruited by the previous coach and stuck around, 
and then you have not really done anything yet, like you're out of there. Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot of that. So, you know, if you're a, if you're a junior that was recruited by the previous staff and you haven't played time to go, mm -hmm. time to go. And remember now we're getting in, you know, 21 and 22. Now are, there are two classes that don't have a COVID year that are starting to stack as things get back to normal. And we get out of this world where everybody had six years to play five. Mm -hmm. So the urgency is going to ramp up a even a little bit more uh, with yeah. some of these guys. Um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot else left on football. Do you? No, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you'll get some info this week. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm trying as best as I can. Oh, I'm not I'm not saying it's not for lack of that. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> Ed Ed has created a video that is the, the me and pickles staring contest. Oh I can't wait to watch that. It's glad, riveting. Glad to see Ed has a lot on his plate right now. <laughs> oh. Uh I guess that brings us to basketball. Yay! Uh, we're going to have different takes on this, I know. Well, we are? We are, I think, to an okay. extent, at least. That's good. That's uh, always good for conversation. Basketball falls to Temple on the road. Yep. Uh, in a game that they, they started out pretty well. They allowed a 17-2 to run to end the half. And they got it back to two at one point. And then Temple hit three threes on their next three possessions, uh, pushed it back to nine. And that was pretty much a wrap for the Bearcats. They got dominated on the glass. They lost the rebounding battle by 18. They did not shoot it particularly well, I would say in large part because they did not move the basketball particularly well. Uh, assists were low. Uh it was their second true road game, and they did not look a whole lot better than they did in the first <laughs> uh, for this team to accomplish anything near what we think they can accomplish, which is 11 or 12 wins in conference. The reality is they're, they're probably not going to beat Houston at home. I think that's probably not. Assumption. Uh, Memphis at home is going to be a challenge. Temple at home is going to be a challenge. UCF at home is going to be a challenge. If they are going to get to 11 or 12 wins, they have got to play better on the road, and we have not seen that to date. Dave, your take on the Temple game. My frustrations are mounting in the sense of I'm seeing, to my eye, like, a lot of the same stuff that, to me, like, I, I'm starting to wonder, like, we talk about the roster, we talk about the talent, like, certain, everything has to do with talent, I, I understand that, but when you keep doing a lot of the same things over and over again, and you do them against a team that has a 
similar level of talent than you? Like, you can't just be like, well, we just don't have a very good roster. Well, neither do they. Right. So, and, so that's that's going to be where I think our our points here are a little bit uh, where they 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 hit a fork in the road a little bit. In that, I think you're right that they are similarly talented to Temple, especially when Temple has Battle and Don both play. And when they have had those guys playing, they beat Villanova, they beat Rutgers. When they have been shorthanded, they've lost some bad games. That's why they're seven and seven. Right. Um, that is not necessarily a good Temple team. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it is a Temple team with pretty much equal talent to this Cincinnati team. And for 27 minutes, Cincinnati didn't play well enough to win. And when you're equal talent and you're on the road and you don't play your balls off, you're going to lose. And that team did not play its balls off uh, on Sunday. Right. So I guess my question is like, why not? And why are, whether it's offensively, defensively, rebounding, like the same things keep happening. And you can, like, we can sit here and say like, well, okay, well, who else are you going to play? I understand that. And you can say like, well, they're just not that, they just don't have a, a roster as talented as we hoped or, that we need to, but like part of me is going to go like, yeah, that's understandable. Like when they were jumping into the big East and I would accept the fact that we're just totally outgunned. And so you're going to make mistakes and you're probably going to have the same issues over and over again, because you're just that much at a talent disadvantage. But like you're, you, you play NKU and temple on the road and you just throw up these just massive stinkers and you got guys doing the same crap that they've done in every single loss and in some of the wins. And like, I'm just like kind of at a loss as to one, why? And two, what do you do to, to fix it? Because like, why would I think at this point, regardless of what our opinions are of the conference, that these guys are going to win a single road game. Yeah. I mean, you would hope when you play the bottom of the conference, like your talent is better and, and you win the road game. Uh, like they should. But the talent has to play like they're like the talent is for longer than tw- 15 or 20 minutes, or it doesn't matter. I agree. I agree. Like if you're just going to continuously take garbage shots and not run any offense and not attempt to get to the line and just let teams that aren't good rebounding teams push you around. Like if Houston did that to us, I'd be like, yeah, they're one of the best rebounding teams. That's kind of what I expected. But a guy who doesn't even rebound the ball got 16 rebounds and we got 24. (laughs) Like when have you ever seen one player almost get the same amount of rebounds as the whole other team? Not very often. I'm guessing Trey Scott probably did it in that stretch where he had like 20 re- 20 rebound nights like for a month for three weeks or whatever it was at the end of his senior year. Um so I mean like 
I'm, I'm, I don't want to be like talk out of both sides of my mouth because I understand like this still isn't that great of an overall roster. Like, but at the same time, we're not playing. We're not in the Big Twelve. We're not even in the Big Ten, the ACC, or the SEC. Like, we're in a bad conference. I think the biggest problem is when when you're when you look at this roster, especially without Rob and John. Who do you go to? Like, who do you pinpoint and say that that dude's tough? Like, that dude is going to get in there and get his hands dirty no matter what. For sure. I agree. Like, and, you know, if you told me you're going to have your two best probably on the ball defenders not playing, then, then sure, there's going to be a drop off in how you play defense, especially how you guard the basketball. Um, so you can't, and you have to I, take I, that, you I, have to take that into account. I, I, but I want to say, I think that impacts rebounding more than people are talking about, I'm, especially I'm sure, I'm sure it does. on the defensive end, because that means the opponents are getting to where they want with the ball. That means your defense is collapsing. That means shots are going up and you're not set. And it, it creates a scramble for a team that doesn't have a but natural rebounder. We talked at the about same this time, though. Like, you don't re- get re- out. Re- you don't get doubled up on the glass because you don't have a natural rebounder. You get doubled no. up because you have no one that gives a shit about rebounding. I mean, not wrong. Like, or you have a bunch of guys that are out of position because, because they don't give a shit about rebounding. If they well, gave defensively, <laughs> you're constantly scrambling because you don't have anybody that's actually a good defender. Also true. I mean, like, if you go back and watch, for most of that 30-minute stretch, Temple just got to wherever they wanted with the ball. Battle, done. Like, those guys off the bounce got what they wanted in terms of, I'm going, I'm getting here, and then I'm going to pass or I'm going to drive. I'm going to dump it off. There, was, there wasn't a whole lot of resistance. And we have praised – David DeJulius for his defense of late because it's been very, very good. I didn't sense that level of tenacity from him on the road. No. Did you? No, I mean, Did you, like, I was a Miller guy in the first half, just basically walked him down at least one time. Yeah. You know, just ISOed, walked him down, and shot a four footer over him. Right. And that's just so, one, that's just one instance, and I and I. But I mean, it's it's and I know indicative it's, of well, Dave you're not ex- being six foot two and, and well, six and you're foot not one, expected to six be foot, like five, everybody's five, whatever. Everybody's out of position in that regard. Of like, Dave is not expecting to be one of the main guys to carry the load offensively, and then now also have to turn around and be the only guy who gives his shit on defender. the other right. on the other end of the floor too. How, so, you're asking him to be your best player on both ends of the floor. That's a bit much. It's not realistic to every single night to be able to to carry that weight for the entire team. Um, I get like, I guess my frustration comes more in the like the continuation of the dumb stuff that you would think they you know they know that that's not winning basketball, but we keep doing it versus like not being able to score or letting the other team score. Like that's going to happen. That's Guys are going to get hot. Guys are going to get cold. 
but it's like we know that we're not winning when we do this, and yet they're still doing it. Yeah, like the the, the inability to consistently like on the road move the ball. They revert to isolation on the road, like the minute things go wrong. And I like I get there were four or five shots in that that Temple run that they have been hitting with regularity. Like they drew up the play, the play worked, they got the look, the ball didn't go in. And then Temple goes down and scores. And they come back down, you get another good look, doesn't go in. Temple goes down and scores. And then it is human nature at that point for guys like a Dave or a Landers. We all know how JD is about this. All right, fine. I'm going to do it myself. And then that doesn't work. And then that's how an 8-0 run turns into a 17-2 run, right? Like six 8-0 runs, that shit happens. You miss a couple shots. They make a couple shots. Like, you know, you're – you can have a seven-point lead Go to a one-point deficit. That's, that's, it's not killer. That's three trips. I mean, that's nothing. Right. That's a minute and a half of a game. Right. But if you can't stop the bleeding. For the last like then all eight, of a sudden, eight minutes of the first right. half. Right. Then all of a sudden, that seven-point lead is an eight-point deficit. And everybody's pressing. And they have to stop. Like, they have to trust because we have seen enough now that when they are doing what they're supposed to do, it works. That's the thing. It's like there's so enough. Just there's trust enough, it. There's enough tape of like this is how good we can be offensively when we do this, 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 and this. Right. But yet, you and I wouldn't even say they were doing those things necessarily at a at a very good level for the first you know 12, 14 minutes of the Temple game, and they're up twenty-seven twenty, and then. I don't know. They just decided like that was enough. Yeah, I think it was more complicated than that, but I get where you're coming. No, like, I get I, I, the... of course it was, but it was like, why do you just all of a sudden, after doing these things almost the entire game against Tulane, well, you did it's... them the entire second half against Xavier, you did it for almost all of the game against Arizona, like, and then you're just like, nope, now we're just going to make one pass and, uh, shoot the ball with the guy right in our face for five, six, seven straight times down the floor. So I think what that gets to is, is still trust in each other, right? Like, because when things do go to that stretch where we talked about where they had three or four trips where they got good looks, they got, they moved the ball, they got a good shot, they got to their spot, the ball doesn't fall. And then the trust breaks, right? And it's I mean, like, to me, just, that, keep, that, just keep doing it. That says there's deeper issues then because there's one new guy in that. Yeah, there's... I mean, Landers Nolly, Dave, JD, Vic, Micah... Well, Vic's a new guy. Vic didn't play at all last year, really. I mean, he's been on... He's been around. Yeah, but he wasn't... He played. Throw the ball to Vic and get, but like, he was bad in conference play last year. Yes. Well, they all were bad in conference play last year. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not like we've got this influx of starters that are all. No, different. I think that's my biggest concern on. It's like, why on would the why would there be stuff. trust issues when most of these guys have played 
Well, because it didn't work last year. Like, the trust wasn't built last year is my point. The trust that if we keep doing this, it's going to work does not carry over from last year, Dave. It didn't work last year in any way, shape, or form. Well, it ain't working now either. I mean, it is at home. Well, okay, so they can they reschedule all their games to but, be at but home? That's, that's the concern is why isn't – like, this is a veteran team – even the, the guys that are new, like this is a veteran team. I mean, shit, they had more guys outside at of practice. Dan and Josh. They had more guys hanging around at practice than they had at that game the other day. So it's not like it's not like you're what going into hostile no. environments. No, I still think it's just like developing that subconscious, just keep doing what we're doing and it's gonna work. And instead when the pressure mounts, everybody kind of reverts back to I'm gonna get my like I'm gonna I'm gonna fix it, right? Like I don't think it's coming from a bad place. Well, I don't need I don't either. And I think I mean how much of that is the fact of like whether you want to talk about Mick, hugs, whatever, like team goes on the run against you, like we can just go, okay, we're done with that. Like, team goes on the run against this team. They don't have the ability, whether it's because of defensively or getting a rebound, to just be like, okay, we're going to stop this for at least a minute or two and and at least hold serve, and maybe we can chip away. Like, to me, that's why – was it Saturday, Sunday? I don't even remember. Um, Sunday. Like, kind of got out of control. Is is not that they were missing shots offensively. is that they weren't getting any stops on defense. Right. No, I mean that. Like we, we, I was talking about it consistently during the game. Like, it doesn't matter if they like. It, there were there was a period at the beginning of the second half where they kind of got the offense back flowing again. Yeah, what they cut it they, to like four or something, or yeah, no, they got it to two. To two. Yeah, and then, like I said, that's when battle like just went out of his mind for a second and hit three threes. Um, Cincinnati scores one two point basket in those three trips. And that two point lead is all of a sudden all the way back out to nine. Like there still has to be a toughness an inherent toughness in there that says, we're going to, we're going to sit down and get a stop here. Now you've got stops to get it all the way down to two, but then you have to carry that over. It can't just be, we got it down to two and now we take a deep breath and you're back down by nine again on the road. Well, no, the, we always, what we always talk about in like big comebacks, it's not that it's easy to come back, but the hard part is now you've made the comeback. How do you, the you other team, sustain. the yeah. other team is woken up from whatever crap they were doing. Coach How often time out, you always whatever. see like you're down 16, you come back to you cut it to two. You feel like you have all the momentum. And then the other team scores like four or six right away, and it's right back to six or eight. And you're like, we just used all that energy to come back, and uh, and now we're back down. You know, it's much harder to kind of get over that hump. Um, I don't know. It's just like it's. I don't know. It's frustrating because <laughs> it's frustrating because you know the the things that I've that bother me. I don't like, I can handle it. If you're just not, 
You just don't have enough good players, and I don't think that's the problem. It's still a problem. It's still a problem, but like it's not the problem. But it's in still this a league, problem. in this league this year specifically, like you think that performance at Temple, based on what we've seen so far, is going to be the only time they go on the road against a team that oh, they're no. probably better than and look like that? Well, I don't think they're better than Temple. I think they're talent wise. I think they're equal to Temple. Okay, e- equal to. Yeah. But I mean, like, they're that's the that's the part that is frustrating to me is that. I can't feel confident outside of maybe like do they hopefully do they do they play at Tulsa? They're garbage. USF's bad. Tulsa's bad. I mean, USF almost beat Temple tonight at home. Yeah. You know they're not, they're not good, but ECU's better. You they gave UCF a game tonight at home. Like, um, so like who are like these teams? These teams playing at home that we think are bad, like if you play like that against them, you're going to lose. Tulsa scored 77 on Tulane. Sure. Tulane well, scored, probably 90, scored like 100, didn't they? 93. Yeah. <coughs> I mean, Tulsa's bad. SMU is bad, but like at home. But look, Cincinnati beats Tulane. What happens? Tulane turns around and beats Memphis, who everybody thinks is the consensus second best team in this league. So that's I think that's where the adjustment of our thought process still just refuses to happen is that Cincinnati's no longer better than 10 teams in this league when they walk on the court. Right. They're probably instantly better than five. <laughs> There's probably two that are that have better rosters, and then there's four, five, whatever. Uh, Tulsa, Temple, UCF, um, maybe one other in there. That it's it's going to be equal. And if you go out there and let the other team re- out rebound you by 18, and let a guy that averages four rebounds a game get 16 rebounds, like that's, I think that and I. That, this is the part that makes people furious. At what point do you say this slapdick has eight rebounds? Somebody don't let not get the fuck off. <laughs> Somebody like that's always what there's been, right? If they're like an aberration like that is going to happen in games, but at some point in time, you got to come to a timeout. Well, I mean, that's like if a guy averages four points a game and he's got 14 in the first half you, the coach is gonna be like somebody want to guard this guy like he's clearly having the night of his life i mean you know you guys want to you want to check him you're just gonna not him- even that like some but sometimes a guy just scores like sometimes a dude just hits a bunt like you know you let him get going early he gets six or eight points in the first 10 minutes now he's feeling it Right. And he puts up a, a 25-point game. You know That's effort, You know how much effort you got to do to get 16 rebounds? Right. At some point in time, isn't there somebody that's like, I'm this motherfucker's not getting another rebound? Be it on me, be it on him, this dude who averages four rebounds a game is not getting another rebound the rest of the night. I mean, and nobody did that. It's easy for us to sit here and, and talk about it and, and say it, but like, who who are the dudes? 
when like when I talk about we need to go get a dude, who are the dudes? The stream has never been G-rated, UCF fan. It's <laughs> it's why we are not part of the twenty four seven podcast network. The BBP the BBP stream is uh, sanitized a lot of the time. This one not so much. <laughs> it makes you wonder if Wes is even seeing it during games. Do you not listen to Wes in the post game? I think he's seeing it, but I don't think there's a whole lot he can he can do about there's it. There's some level of like uh, personal responsibility that, but and just like I mean, are you just not? Are you not? Are you not listening? Are you do you not care? I... So uh he sits guys because of it. I, that part I, I it happens. But you also have to understand right now with Rob and, and Yeah, I mean that's the thing is, out, especially at the garden wing spots like you don't have anybody else to play at the big spots. Vic gets Vic gets two fouls. You're in trouble. Yeah, so tell him to stop fouling. <laughs> well, like the first one, it was dumber than shit. Like he's got to know better than to get a rebound, a, a defensive rebounding foul, twenty seconds into the game. That is going to fuck up the entire flow of the game. He does need to know better, but he does it almost on a regular basis. Where he no, he's cut it. He's cut it out at least one where you're just like, "Come on, man! You know they're going to call that, right? Whether it's a guy driving in and he reaches in, and whether you got all ball or not, like you know it's going to happen." Uh, what's going on with Sage? He's just not. I think they wanted to find out if he was physically ready. I look. Think about the way that. Like, think about the way that that. Tulane and Temple frustrated Vic and they were physical with Vic and they got Vic off his spot and they sped up his feet. We talked about this on Sunday in the nightcap um, that teams are just reverting back to last year's scouting report from Vic for Vic. And even though he's better, they're still giving him problems because they're not letting him get comfortable. And if that's happening to a guy with as much, upper and lower body strength is Vic. Imagine what it's going to happen to Sage at, you know, 210 pounds or whatever he is. Um, I guess Wes said last night, I didn't hear it. I guess he said on the, the coaches show that, you know, there's still, there could be medical red shirt options for Sage. So you're getting to that point where if you play him, you will burn those medical red shirt options. Um, so I, I think, you know, a decision has to be made there. Um, but that's UCF super fan. I see people throw around terms like blow it up. The problem is it's been blown up every year for four years. That doesn't... They've turned over more than half the roster every year. For four seasons. This, what does that accomplish? It doesn't help you. They, like it doesn't help you this year. And it doesn't help you next year. What, right. Because you're, then you're going into the big 12 with, with eight, nine new players. I mean, it just like blowing it up. 
it, I know it sounds like right if you just start theory. playing it, like just we'll just play it out like a very generic way. If you just start playing like a bunch of the young guys, then you're going to have a very bad year this year, and no one's going to be happy about that. Yes. And then the older guys who still could come back next year are probably not going to come back because you just benched them in an effort to pl- get young guys experience and lo- and the result of that is probably lose more games. So the older guys are like, well, you just bet me over because you feel like I'm not good enough and now you've got to worry about the future. So those guys aren't coming back. The younger guys maybe got more experience, but how much does experience really help you against Tulsa and ECU and USF when you're jumping up to the Big 12 next year? Um, and so then you're probably bringing eight-ish – new players into your first season of the big 12. That does not seem to be a winning formula from my vantage point. I mean, I I guess what people look at, uh, Iowa state did that with TJ Otzelberger. They brought in eight new guys or whatever it was in his first year. Um, and then, and they've had some success. Uh, but I mean, I sure there's there's a, a rare like it happened here once and it happened there once. Um, but it, it's not it's not a sustainable way to win. Well, it's just you don't want to get into that cycle. Because it's very hard to get out of that cycle. Right. Like it's it's very hard to to do the things that you need to do to have sustained success if you're always integrating and in, uh, add you know an entire new roster. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't. At some point, you have to say, this is who we are, and we're going to build it, right? Yeah. I mean, you hope you have some some nice pieces that are young guys this year, and you hope you have some nice pieces that are young guys next year. And and I think, you know. Look, look, you you go back, and, you know, you look at Mick in the Big East. You had the JUCO class that had Deontay Vaughn. Deontay Vaughn was a foundational piece. And then you add the Rashad Bishop, Biggie McLean, Darnell Wilkes, Larry Davis, uh, Alvin Mitchell, that group. And they were the next layer, right? Alvin Mitchell. Alvin left. He was a dog. He he had some dog in him. (laughs) It was it was a poorly trained dog that would bite you. <laughs> uh, but then you know you add Yancey, Cash, and Dion. Oh, now we're starting to move in the right direction, right? 
And then you had SK and Park and, and Lance and that crew. And now Bishop. because you're building the right way. No, Bishop was in the second. Bishop was in the second class. Bishop was in that class with Larry Davis and right. uh, Piggy Dar- McLean. Darnell. Darnell. Right. And that was the group that ended up being the goon squad in large part. Bishop was a starter. But those were all the second team guys on that team that first made the tournament. Yeah. And that's because you gave them time. They developed. You built your culture. They grew into leaders. And you you added talent around them. Is it different now because of the portal? Yes. Clearly sure. it is. Uh, I mean, you just you don't, still... like, if you're not winning at a high clip, you just don't see guys who are content in their roles like those guys were. Right. Well, and those guys had all put so much sweat equity in getting the program back that they wanted to see it through. Still, yeah, I agree. But still, like, a guy like Larry Davis nowadays would transfer down a level and go get 20 a game. That's fair. You know, and that's, 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 you know, and – Instead, you had a, a valuable piece coming off your bench. And that just, that's, that's, you know, you just, I don't know, I could be wrong, but it feels like you just don't see a three, four year guy who's cool with that anymore. Unless you get the right guys. Well, that's a, right? right. But I mean, <laughs> but we see how many guys are in the portal. So, right. You know, it, it's just a different vibe. Like it's a different vibe to have a Jermaine Sanders. It's a different, thing to have you know a darnell wilkes those, those those guys are but if you build the culture you can do it you can't right it's just it's you know how harder. you don't build the culture you blow it up every year at the first sign of like adversity oh for sure because those guys need time to grow into their playing abilities and if you push them out because they're not good enough as a freshman, then there's no way to build to a level of a guy that turns into a, a sixth or seventh man that you can trust and and know what you're getting on a nightly basis. I mean, Nelly brings up a, a great question, and we it seems like it's been like out of sight, out of mind. Like, what the hell is going on with Hensley? I just don't. Unfortunately, I don't think he has enough skill on offense like natural skill on offense at this point to be a guy you can leave on the floor for long. I mean, shouldn't they have enough skill on offense to take advantage of what he can do defensively and rebounding? I think defensively what, I don't know that we have any proof that he's a good, like a, a high level rebounding option. I don't have any proof that anybody else is either though. <laughs> That's fair. So, like, if Dave and Landers and Vic and Micah are your main offensive guy, like, can I see what he can do on defense? Can I see if he can help with rebounding? I mean, I think they've tried him for stretches, but he doesn't help as much as he I mean, hurts. when was the, I mean, I guess I'm not paying that close of attention. I feel like I haven't seen him in forever. He played in the Temple game a couple stretches. 
I mean, it's it's two, three minutes here, two, three minutes I mean, if it was in the second half, I will right, readily admit I was not paying attention. I was watching, <laughs> I was watching NFL. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just like, and you're probably, Do I think Hensley, like, do I think probably, Hensley? On a, you're probably right. But like at this point, I'm kind of just like, well, nobody else is doing like, and we, we talked about this with football. Like you don't just make a change because the starter isn't doing what you're hoping he's doing because the backup has to be able to give you at least that, or you're now in a worse situation. Right. Um, but like in, in football, you're, you're, it's very much more specific to like, can this guy go in there and get me a couple rebounds for at least a couple minutes and kind of like settle things down. You know, I know I've got other guys that are going to take I think if shots. he could, he would be playing more. You would think so. Right, so, I mean, yes, my question's probably answered by him not playing. Um, but it's just hard to be like, so you're telling me the guys on the floor that got their ass kicked on the glass are the best we got. <laughs> Unfortunately, kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, Sunday. And again. Glad the Bengals are at one, so I don't have to watch this massacre. And again, some of that, and like I hate to keep harping on it, but this team was built with the idea of being able to put Rob and Josh in when you needed those things. Right. And, when and you it, needed some toughness case, and like, some rebounding and, and defense. And we also hope that this would not be the case with Jared because we talked about he's got like the traits yeah. that we thought could translate to that type of thing and then totally missing on Kalu, who we thought, I mean, shit, what preseason we talked about him possibly being like the leading rebounder. Well, I, that was a guy that averaged over six rebounds a game in the A-10. So like you would hope at least the rebounding part would translate, but none of it has. Right. So you've got two guys that hurt who are your two and, and these are, but this happens almost everywhere, every no, year. So you can't, Guys don't get hurt. Your two top defenders get hurt. Like one on the, the eve of the season and the other five games into the season. I mean, maybe not to that extent, but like. We, well, but wait, that's to the point, extent it happened here. We can't say is, this happens everywhere when it doesn't happen everywhere. No, it doesn't. But my point is like, you're never going to have a, you're very rarely going to have a season where so, like everything goes according to plan. Okay. But, but let's be honest about this, right? They were dreadful on offense last year. Dreadful. And defense. So they so in a lot of ways, they overcorrected in the offseason. Josh is an offense first guy. Dan is an offense first guy. Kalu was supposed to be an offense first guy. Landers is an offense first guy. They added, and then Sage and, and Rob were the other additions. I'm fine with that though, because like but, for, but let me for how many years point. did we Talk about like, yeah, we can win games, but like you're not going to go far if you can't score. Okay, let me finish my point, though. So you add all these offensive-minded guys to fix what was the glaring problem from last year. And you say, okay, we're giving up some some defense for offense, but we should still have what should be one of the top perimeter defenders like on the wing – and one of the top perimeter defenders at guard on our roster. Right. So we will have these two guys that'll kind of balance out this fact 
that we overcompensated for our lack of offense, knowing that we've got two guys that should be able to stabilize us when necessary defensively. And now those two guys have not been an option essentially all season. Right. Oh, I mean, they haven't been. No, it changes. It changes all of that. Now you're now you're demanding as you're trying to find a new identity. What have we talked about a lot? Like it didn't feel like this team had an identity. Why? Because the roster wasn't built the way that it's being played. Right. Now you have Dave trying to step up and be like, "All right, I'm going to be the guy that's." That's the stopper. I'm going to be the guy that goes out and shuts down the other team's best player. I'm going to be the guy that puts this responsibility on myself. Okay. Well then, like we talked about, that's going to put a shit ton of wear and tear on him because you're also expecting him on the other end of the floor to be your most consistent offensive weapon. Thank God Mike has been playing well and they haven't had to move him back to the one. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they've, they've had to play him at the one when Mike is on the bench. Well, yeah, because they don't have enough guards. But I they mean, don't have another guard to play the one. Uh, is Kalu that bad to play playing zero minutes? Yes. Did you watch Kalu play the first seven games I mean, of the season? Like we said, if he was playing, if they were capable, they'd be playing because they're not getting, they're not getting the things that we thought him and Hensley would give them from the from the other players. So if they were capable they'd be playing them because they could point to it and go you guys aren't doing this i need these guys to go in and do it right it's they're just in a weird roster spot right now where what they built one because of the injuries two because kalu's not working or hasn't worked like maybe there's a great redemption with kalu as the season progresses but from what we've seen so far he's had three coaches dnps in the last five games and the two games that he played were essentially coaches dnp <laughs> right like so I, john again if they felt kalu could grab five minutes he would be playing five minutes they don't feel that he can is that right or like maybe it's wrong yeah, but, it, it could be totally wrong, and they need to play him more. And he could, he could give them something, you know, that they're not getting right now. But they don't. But from when they did play him, he right. was terrible. He was one of those guys that in thirty seconds, your only reaction in thirty seconds of him on the floor is you got to get him off the floor. He's he, he was like Mamadou offensively, but he didn't make any of the shots. Right. Like when Mamadou went in, you're like, God, if he touches the ball, it's going up. But I mean, some of the times he'd actually make them. How's Kalu doing with not playing? I don't know. I haven't been around for two weeks. I mean, I would guess not great. Not I mean, great. Anybody, I can't anybody that's not playing well. probably is not loving it. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not like a, a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it would be a surprise. I mean, can they, like it's already January. He's not going to change. Like I, I'm, I'm with you on that, Matt. Like if it hasn't clicked for him yet, it's hard to believe that all of a sudden, like mid-January, the light, the light's going to go on. The other, the, but the thing that's weird, like this is a guy that produced in the A10. The A10 is not a good league. <laughs> it's not like this is like such a big jump. Let's be right. real. 
Right. The A10 is not that much below the American. I mean, the thing that the the American hangs its head on is like being physical. You would think that that would have fit his style, but clearly not. I mean, just like, J, just like I, JD. I know they got a lot of injuries right now, and I couldn't name one single player on their team, but like, are they going to go into Wichita and win tomorrow night? You have to. You have to. Well, I mean, I know you have to, but can you? Like, I, you know, very rarely am I going to call a game three games in to conference play a must win. But if you lose at Wichita, you're going to be one and three to start the conference. Oh, you don't think they'll beat Houston on Sunday? I would not use my free Betfred uh, $200 oh, I'm, a week. I'm probably using plenty of free bets on that one. What do you think the line is? If it's anywhere in the single digits, I'm crushing it. Uh, he's, I, I get, yeah, he's a human with feelings. Like, he, I think he's probably not doing great. He's not playing. He transferred to use his graduate season to come here and, and be an impact player. And he's getting DNP coaches' decisions. I would guess mentally he's struggling with it. I like, but I don't, I, I can't say for sure. I haven't been around. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm looking at early line. Do you see getting points on the road? Like that seems like a terrible idea. Wichita's pretty bad. They are. And they're dealing with, I think, quite a bit of injuries, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They still have that poor bear Chandler guy. He's not very good. He never plays. <laughs> right? He's uh, not very good. Yeah. I mean, but like, I don't know. I'd probably just stay away from it altogether. But like. Uh, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at well, Brent's novel. Uh <laughs> Jaquan Walton has an ankle injury. Um, I mean, that's definitely one you probably want to look at their their reporters right before the game. Yeah. See who's playing, who's not. Um, but I would save all your free bet Fred bets for the NFL games this week when you see who's not playing and who is and what team actually, <laughs> what team yeah. actually needs to win and what team doesn't and but no I mean it's I think we've kind of talked through a lot of it it's I would have I just I don't know it's one game so I don't want you know one ro- one road game in conference try not to overreact too much um but, you know, you can't help but see a lot of the same things, even in some of the wins at, for too long of stretches against, like, and this is what we talked about last week, is, like, we have not played any of these kind of very similar middle-of-the-road type of teams. We've played either top 30 teams or dreadful teams. So we have not seen them play, you know, other pretty quality opponents 
And we kind of we saw what that looks like on the road when you kind of just like mail it in for 25 minutes. Right. All right. Well, I don't have how a whole lot I, else. How did I end up doing with my with my bowl picks? Did, I have no did, idea. Did anybody keep track of that? I have no idea. <laughs> how do you think you did with your bowl picks? I think I did quite quite average. Um started out strong obviously missed both of the playoffs playoff games um but you didn't give tcu any chance i didn't give ohio state any chance either (laughs) (laughs) for some reason i felt good that tcu was going to give michigan fits maybe it was the, the big 10 title game and michigan not being like dominant in that game i think they just had a team that was built to like beat ohio state but not necessarily like handle teams that were a little bit more uh yeah substance than ohio state was but then you know ohio state goes out and almost beats georgia so uh, do you have any do you have any dave's bets you want to throw at us between now and next week, things to uh, yes, I I I would go same game parlay, TCU and the over. So you're what's the line? Uh, twelve and a half, and the over under last time I saw was 62, 62 and a half. Okay. I like I like same game parlay. TCU getting the points and the over. Purdue lost by a thousand in their bowl game. I thought it was more than that. It didn't seem that close. <laughs> well, three players not Jaden Daniels completed passes for LSU. So you know you know how you know how that went. Denbrock was in his bag. Yeah. Mikey D was in his bag. Uh, Dave, you got a Bengals question. Oh, okay. Gambling related, I'm sure. Uh, Do you think Lamar Jackson plays on Sunday? I don't. There's something. There is something going on there. Whether he is more injured than, or he just won't play because he doesn't have uh, a contract. Right. Either he's more injured than they originally thought. Because I mean, when he got hurt, the initial prognosis was one to three weeks. Yeah. And it's been a month. Uh, so he either is more injured than they let on, or at this point, and based off of the way John Harbaugh has been reacting in press conferences, I'm led to believe that he has had enough. He has had yeah. enough of Lamar Jackson. And uh wasn't that their fault? You handled Lamar well, Jackson not, how not, you handled right, Lamar it's Jackson. Not his fault, it's the owner and the GM's fault. I mean yeah. They, Hi, Aaron. Hi. Um, also, just a friendly reminder, although gambling is now legal in the state of Ohio, gambling can be addictive. Please play responsibly. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. The service is intended for adult users only. Individuals must be 21 or older to participate. Damn it. Oh, now you got to oh. no, You have to stop. Oh, to stop. Yeah. 21 or older to participate in sports betting in the U.S. So close, so close. Yeah, too much time off, too much betting. I'll see you guys later. <laughs>
Yeah. So, um, and if you want to take advantage of our bet Fred promo, there you go. He did not practice today. No, he did not. And John Harbaugh was asked about it and made a comment to the effect of like, I'm worried about the guys that are here and whatever. So like, um, but, and Je- Jeffrey, I do not hate basketball. I will give you a basketball pick right now for tomorrow night. I, I won I won two games last night, so I certainly do not hate basketball. Chad, tell me what you think about this. Okay. Purdue is getting points at Ohio State tomorrow night. Huh? Ohio State is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, Purdue coming off a loss. That Ohio State team is is pretty good. Ten and three. Purdue's thirteen and one. Yeah, I would take Purdue money line. So I would certainly take Purdue getting one and a half. Right. I just like I'm. I don't really get that one. Um, I mean, I know home court in college basketball is probably important, but like two point game, Purdue is the better team. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Also, Indiana at Iowa, Indiana is getting Iowa points. Iowa sucks. Yeah. Iowa is a point and a half favorite. That's the one, especially Fran's son is now out uh, with some anxiety yeah. issues. He averages. I, think, I, think, I would have games. anxiety issues too if he was my dad. <laughs> Aaron, you got a disclaimer for that? Is there, is, that's, that's if above Fran my McCaffrey's your dad, seek medical attention. Above my pay grade. We're going to need you to have disclaimers on tap. Like, you're just going to have to come up with disclaimers for everything. I mean, if that's the case, I'm still looking for one from Indiana last year and Thanksgiving dinner. Good God. (laughs) We need, like, a best of album. (laughs) Uh, But there you go, Jeffrey. Those are my two that I would would consider. The, The two road teams. Road dogs. He likes the road dogs. Yep. All right. There you go. That's our Dave Betts segment from our good friends at Betfred Sports. If you sign up now, they're still doing their uh, their start of gambling sports wagering in Ohio promotion. Uh, you, when you deposit 50 bucks, you get $111 credited to your account. And then for the next five weeks, you get $200 of uh, forgiven bets. You have to make the bets, and then if you don't it's win, basically, it's basically they will free put the bet. money you back in your bet, account. And if you lose, yeah. you get the money back. You get right. a free but you get a free bet like credit to then go use again because right. you can't then withdraw right. that twenty bucks. Like they don't yeah. give you the money back. Right. Right. Dave's faves. You like that, Dave? Mm, I, well, we're Natalie. We are. Uh, <laughs> we're into the. 
This is Dave Spade season. Everybody on no, here Dave like Spades with a V. Like oh, favorites. I thought you said Fades. I was like, no. Dave's yeah. Faves. Dave's Faves, Pickles Picks. And then if necessary, we can just change it to Dave's Fades. Well, <laughs> fade, uh, fade Dave's. <laughs> there's, there's one team that I start fading this time of year. <laughs> easy. <laughs> easy. Uh, that Purdue, Purdue one is rough, though. I, I did hit on Iowa State and Temple tonight. Good job, Jeff. Appreciate you. All right, let's get out of here. Pickles. Pickle. Sorry, pickle. I said the S. There you go. That's my bad. There That's you go. Bad. Sorry, pickle. That's my bad. Say bye. Don't get mad at me. We're going to see All you right. next week, I'm sure. I think they play on Thursday again next week, so we'll be back here on Wednesday night. All right. Um, hopefully I can, at some point around that time, be planning to bring my wife home. So that'd be fun. Yeah, it would be. Uh, but that's uh, that's gonna wrap it up. Thanks to producer extraordinaire Aaron Smith. Thanks to Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. Get down to the Holy Grail this weekend. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.